0: This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Forbidden Vancouver Walking Tours. I'm Eve Lazarus, and this is Cold Case Canada, and part two of The Babes in the Woods. If you haven't already, please listen to part one, which details the discovery of the two tiny skeletons found by a Vancouver Parks Board worker in Stanley Park in 1953. The two boys were believed to be aged between six and ten when they were murdered.
1: Cold Case Canada is an independently produced true crime podcast hosted by Eve Lazarus, a reporter and author based in Vancouver, British Columbia.
0: I've just met up with Kat Thorson at the parking lot near the Children's Railway in Stanley Park, and we're on the way to the place where the babes in the woods were found. Even though 67 years has passed since the skeletons were discovered, and Stanley Park is one of the most popular tourist attractions in Canada the trail that we're walking on still feels isolated and remote. In 2003, Kat Thorson was studying criminal profiling when her father handed her an article from the Globe and Mail. The story came on the 50th anniversary of the Babes in the Woods discovery and detailed retired detective Sergeant Brian Honeyburn's obsession with the murder of two young brothers in Stanley Park. Intrigued by the story, Kat went to hear Honeyburn and Dr David Sweet, a forensic dentist from UBC, speak about the murders at the Vancouver Public Library. After the talk, she went to Honeyburn and offered her services as a volunteer researcher. So Kat, tell me how you got involved in this.
2: At the time, I was studying criminal profiling and uh, behaviour evidence analysis. So for me, I was really interested in the offender and victim relationship and so that's why i think my father thought well you know go take a look here and so during the lecture i was like absolutely intrigued by this story and then uh, went up to uh, sergeant honeybourne at the end and i said i would love to volunteer to help you research this case anything i can do and he graciously said oh that would be great And so I thought I would just be maybe reviewing paperwork or going to the library, but I was totally enfolded into the case in a very exciting way and became part of the Babes in the Woods Task
0: Force. Kat spent the next 12 months working on the volunteer task force, headed up by Brian Honeyburn and made up of Dr. David Sweet, retired investigative reporter George Garrett, and Kat. She tracked down old leads, revisited the original case files and evidence boxes and searched through archival records. Kat also visited the scene of the crime at Stanley Park, where she's taking me today. I asked Kat, after spending all this time researching and drawing this case, if she has a theory as to who she thinks murdered those children. I put
2: myself at the scene And that's sort of like the behavior evidence analysis technique is start at the scene and slowly work your way out. As I looked at and read about how the children were found, they were laid out in a particular way. They were not laid out haphazard. They were laid out head to toe, and they were covered in a fur coat. So there was this sort of almost maternal way that they were laid out and as a mother of two that it, it struck me is that it, there was a thought to how they were left there was a woman's shoe lodged between them almost like wrenching your foot out there was a hatchet there was a children's lunch box all those little evidence felt like there was something desperate to the act no one has identified these children to this day mm-hmm. it is a family secret it's a deep rooted secret and i really feel that the family in time has died off because you know things come up and over time and but there's nothing has bubbled up about this case and the amount of research they did into missing children at the time you would think that somebody would recognize who those children were mm-hmm. so for me they were likely out of province children And it was a desperate act, her last choice. And then my theory is too that she shortly thereafter would have committed suicide.
0: Mostly because of their clothing. It's likely the kids were taken to the park in the fall.
2: They were wearing fall clothing. So I looked at ads. In the late 40s, they had the same kind of tartan jacket. Okay, so those are tartan jackets with a ribbed sleeve and a ribbed like waistband. And they had leather belts mm. and they had corridor pants. They had underwear that was too big, which is so sad. That was kind of folded in and held with a safety pin.
0: So hand-me-downs. Yeah, hand-me-downs.
2: The shoes were that crepe sole, they call them. And the leather helmets, uh, which was a popular post-war thing because of the World War II and the Air Force.
0: Investigators had originally believed that the murders took place in October 1947. But as the investigation evolved, and DNA found that the children were two brothers, not a boy and a girl, and finding that a witness had lied... The date of the murders is now believed to be somewhere between 1944 and 1948. Babes in the Woods is not the only shocking tale from Vancouver's most famous park. On Forbidden Vancouver's Dark Secrets of Stanley Park tour, you'll hear stories of buried treasure, the truth about Dead Man's Island, and the notorious case of the Stanley Park Prowlers. Forbidden Vancouver's had over 1,500 five-star reviews on TripAdvisor and are winners of the prestigious City of Vancouver Heritage Medal of Honour. Find out more and book tickets at forbiddenvancouver.com and you can save 15% on your booking using the code COLDCASE. When I went searching through the early newspapers, I was amazed to find out just how much was happening in Stanley Park in the 1940s. The Free Stanley Park Zoo closed in 1996, but it had been around since the late 1880s. It was apparently quite an attraction for locals and tourists in the 40s and 50s. I remember when I first came to Vancouver being shocked to walk into the park and find polar bears, monkeys, snakes and even kangaroos. Seppley Park, the playground near the pool at Second Beach, was also a big deal, was much nicer and grander than it is now, was built with $13,000 from Grace Seppley's estate in 1922 and would still have been quite spectacular in the 1940s. The rowing club was well established, as was cricket, tennis, horse riding, biking, and the original miniature railway opened in the summer of 1947. The Rose Garden was a draw, as it still is now, as was Theatre Under the Stars at Malkin Bowl, and dining at the Stanley Park Pavilion. The trails back then as now were a huge, well-used attraction at all times of the year, and there was a bus loop at the foot of Chilco Street, just on the outskirts of Stanley Park. As you know from part one of this podcast, there's been literally hundreds if not thousands of leads followed up over the years. Misidentifying the children as a boy and a girl and hunting for a missing brother and sister was a real screw-up that literally sent investigators down the wrong path for 45 years until DNA set the record straight. But after all that time, there was no way of knowing how many leads about missing children were ignored because they were looking for a boy and a girl. That's what former Vancouver police officer Ron Emil believed after he first approached homicide detectives in 1980. Now 90 years old, Ron is convinced that he knows the identities of the Babes in the Woods. He says that they were the sons of Isabella Cox, the daughter of the signalman at the Prospect Point Lighthouse in Stanley Park. After her father Harry died in 1936, Isabella and her mother left for England. When they returned in 1940, the women stayed with Ron's grandmother, who ran a boarding house in Vancouver's West End. Ron says Isabella had two sons while she was overseas, but so far there's no proof that they ever existed. Isabella did marry an American soldier named Robert Jensen in Vancouver in 1940, shortly after they returned. Isabella and Robert divorced in 1944. In 2015, Ron tried again. He took his theory to Inspector Dale Weedman of the Vancouver Police's Homicide Department. Dale had inherited the long unsolved murder file. And he listened. Dale discovered that Isabella had a son named Martin Ian Jensen in 1941, who died in 1974 and could be a half-brother to the Babes in the Woods. Dale started the process to have Jensen's body exhumed and tested for DNA. What made you think this was a credible lead?
3: It's a tip from a retired detective and he talked about how this lady he believed that she had had two kids and and then the timeline definitely Fit. And 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 again, like the case is pretty interesting in that you're dealing with like wartime, you know, World War II, and husbands going off to war. I looked into all that, but ultimately, what I found is the lady had a son. The son was the body we exhumed. The DNA from that body would turn out to be inconclusive. So in other words, there wasn't enough human biological material to make any kind of a comparison with the DNA profile that had been developed from the babes.
0: But I get it that examining a body is an easy decision to make. It's a rare
3: thing that we do, that is for sure. It was the first time I'd ever done it. And actually, I think it was the first time asked around and nobody had done it. It turned out not to be that difficult. The family lives in Montana. So I was able to find them through obituaries, through, you know, on the internet and got a hold of them and they gave me permission to have the body exhumed.
0: Were they surprised to learn that they might be related to this really famous case?
3: uh yeah yeah they were they were surprised, but they never knew it would have been there, and they never knew the lady that may have had the kids. Yeah, so I have, like in my log notes, uh, it appears that the tip from Ron Emile that Isabella Cox had two children who are now unaccounted for is not true. Only one child, Martin Jensen, was born to her and he has been accounted for, obviously. Furthermore, his body was exhumed, but a DNA comparison insufficient biological material remains could not be conducted with the DNA profile that had been developed from the bones from the babes in the woods. So as it stands right now, the identity of the two boys is still unknown.
0: In the Vancouver Police Department... Homicide is part of major crimes. There are no officers dedicated to working cold cases. Detectives are expected to investigate both active and unsolved murders as part of their caseload. They are also rotated out of homicide after five years. I was impressed by how much work Dale Weedman did reinvestigating the babes in the woods, the oldest cold case in the department. As well as running down the lead from Ron Emil, He hit the city archives and went through boxes and boxes of old school records. He started with the premise that the boys would have both attended one of the handful of elementary schools that existed in Vancouver back in the 1940s. He got the class lists and looked for two boys who were enrolled one year and then disappeared the next. In the end, though, he couldn't find any brothers who were unaccounted for. Dale also hit BC archives searching their records for Riverview Hospital for the Mentally Ill. But he couldn't find any women who may have been the mother of the babes in the woods. So I have to ask you, though, do you have a theory on the case?
3: Not really. No, I don't. I mean, just a serial killer, discarding the bodies in the park, maybe, or most likely a parent, but no, not really. And
0: do you think we'll ever be able to identify the boys?
3: So right now we're working with the Coroner Service on potential genealogical... DNA. A lot of those, as you know, like they're American based. Maybe we get something out of that, but the the quality of the DNA that was able to be obtained from the bones, it's not of a high quality. That's the whole problem. Me saying all that though is like whoever did it is long dead. Nothing's going to court here. You know we're talking somebody that was born at the uh, like World War I type thing that probably did it.
0: I think it's really about the mystery, right, at this point. Who were they? And, you know, And oh, yeah. to give them back their names. And...
3: Yeah, it would be very, very, it would be very cool mm-hmm. to do all the
0: Coroner Laura Yuzadgin is looking for the names of more than 180 cases of unidentified remains found all over British Columbia. Some are hikers who were lost and ultimately perished in the woods. Some were pulled from rivers and lakes around the province. Others were found in mountain crevices. Old, young, male, female, suicides, accidents and murders. Every case is an active investigation and Laura's oldest one, is the babes in the woods.
1: My name is Laura Yazegin. I am a coroner with the BC Coroner Service. I am the identification
0: specialist. Take me back through babes in the woods. When did you actually start working on that?
1: The first time I became aware of that case was actually when I read the novel Stanley Park. And the case was described in there, the, the whole mystery. And that was when I was still at university doing my degree in forensic science. And then I came back to BC and started working on contract with the coroner's service as an anthropologist and realized then that the cases were still open, unsolved investigations with the coroner's office as unidentified remains cases. When we talk about, you know, these two kids who were murdered back in the 1940s, never found, and just thinking about how different the city was at that time and how something like that could have happened and nobody figured out who they were over all this time. It's a fascinating mystery.
0: So what's the first thing you did with it when you had the case?
1: Once I became a coroner and it actually became my... Jurisdiction of my case to work on, we'd started looking at the different types of DNA analysis that could be done just because historically, you know, the analysis that was done was what could be done at the time. So, pathologists looked at the bones, and pathologists are not always very good at analyzing skeletal human remains just because it's not their area of expertise and their area of specialty, which is why for so long the bones. Of these two kids were believed to be a boy and a girl, when in fact, once we did DNA analysis, it was determined it was two boys. So, the investigation from the very beginning was focused looking for the wrong people, releasing the wrong information, trying to figure out who these kids were. So, the more technology changes, the more information we can get. So, nowadays, we can do Y chromosome testing to determine if they are related along the male line. We can do mitochondrial testing to see if they have the same mother. And now with all of this genetic genealogy, doing DNA that's used on these public source websites like Ancestry and 23andMe, and possibly even find distant relatives of theirs who may have uploaded their DNA to these systems.
0: Laura says that the U.S. labs also generate a report that provides phenotypic information. That's uh, information like hair and eye colour, skin colour, and it can even estimate a region of origin. In March of 2019, the BC Coroner Service published an online map plotting the location of all of the remains that have been found throughout the province and I've put a link to the map in the show notes for this episode on my website. Now, most of these remains are clustered around Vancouver and the North Shore, and the majority are male. There are 13 cases, including the babes in the woods, in the Stanley Park area alone. The map is set up so that you can click on any dot and see details like approximate height, age, race, and estimated time between death and date discovered. At least three cases have been closed because of information from the public, and some tips have also come in about the babes in the woods. Mostly, Laura says, these are from elderly people who say they remember something that could help provide the identities of the children. While some tips are more reliable than others, every lead is followed up. The number one question that Laura is asked is why she just can't send the DNA off to Ancestry.com. She's only half joking when she says a skeleton can't spit into a tube.
1: So one of the biggest problems that we have with that is unfortunately in this case, we have very little skeletal material remaining. So when the case was originally investigated, unfortunately, a lot of the skeletal material was cremated and so-called buried at sea. We don't know what technology is going to come up in the future and, you know, the different types of analysis they are going to be able to be done. Partly we have very, a very small amount of skeletal material remaining from each of the cases. The second thing is they are children. So the material we have is, it's not like having an adult skeleton which has a much higher concentration of DNA in the cortical bone. You know, it's easier to get a, the sufficient amount of DNA that, that a lab would need in order to actually create a profile. So it's not just having the material, it's being able to get the DNA out of it. And, of course, they're also 70 years old. You know, the older the material is, it just naturally degrades.
0: Last August, Laura sent two bone samples from the babes in the woods to a lab in the United States. So far, they've been unable to extract enough usable DNA to send to GEDmatch, a public genealogy site in the US. Laura remains cautiously optimistic that the lab will eventually be able to get enough usable DNA from the babes in the woods to submit to GEDmatch. After that, we'll just have to hope that one of these kids' distant relatives has submitted their DNA and opted in to the system. So the story of the babes in the woods is far from over. Their killer is long dead. But I'm optimistic that these boys will eventually get their names back.
3: If you're enjoying Cold Case Canada, why not buy Eve a coffee? Go to evelazarus.com.
0: For more information on my podcasts or my books or my blog, it's all on my website at evelazarus.com. And as always, thanks so much to the Vancouver Police Museum, which not only is the origin for many of these stories and carries a great selection of local crime books, it truly is one of Vancouver's hidden treasures.
2: If you'd like to learn more about the Babes in the Wood case and other historic murder cases in Vancouver, visit the Vancouver Police Museum and Archives, read case files and see real evidence from the Babes case, the infamous milkshake murder, And others that were investigated in the building's former Forensic Analyst Lab and City Morgue. Located at 240 East Cordova Street, buy tickets online at VancouverPoliceMuseum.ca.